Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios in Knoxville, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Here are your hosts, John Reed and Bob Baskerville. Back in the booth, back on the airwaves, coming at you live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. It is the morning show. Happy February 1st to you. Good morning, wherever you may be listening or whatever time of day you may be listening. I hope you're having a good day. John Reed, Bob Baskerville, Sam Beard. The crew is here, locked and ready to go. Bob, how are you? I'm good, um, although... Well, we're getting close to the move, right? The physical. feels like it. Yeah, because right now, right this minute, I feel like I'm in an interrogation room or something with the lighting here. It's uh, oh, yeah. we got Sam tucked away in the dark, like he's going to hit us up with some really hard questions, and I've got like big bright lights on me. It's too early for that. But, I'm going to uh, talk like this to hide my voice. <laughs> yeah. Everything I say is <clears throat> top secret, and I cannot reveal my identity. Yeah, yeah. I'm so I'm nitpicking. It's like I just want to move. It's time to move. We're, we're close. Yes, we're close, Bob. Don't get antsy yet. We're we're close. Uh, I, I was surprised you wanted to sit in here with me for this long. So you made it a month, and now you're getting antsy, or not even a month, like three weeks, three and a half weeks, and one week was a snow week. It's true, and and you just said it. It's a new month, February. Um, so one month of winter is gone. Love it. A Good. month and a month and a week, right? Like December twenty first. There we go. We're yeah. We're, we're past a threshold where I think I see now in the news that the sun doesn't go down until after six o'clock. Now we made it to the six o'clock hour, which feels like a nice threshold. Yeah, and the next thing I know, you don't care, Jay. Um, Sam and I care. Just call me Jake. No, uh, I started to call Sam Jake. Which, oh, okay. Uh, Phew. No, that's, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, now is uh, pitchers and catchers report. Yeah. Less than two weeks. Let's go. That's just a sign. Not like I'm going to be paying that much attention to it, but it's a sign that it's it's your own personal groundhog. <clears throat> yeah, you can smell the grass getting cut in the air. You know. Yeah, spring's not far away. Got to keep believing. Thirteen days away from catchers and pitchers reporting, which sounds weird when you say it that way. It's always <laughs> pitchers and catchers. Uh, but also, like we're what fifteen days away from Tennessee baseball, I believe is first game. Sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Still waiting on my tickets, by the way university like if you want to send them out yeah people to send them to and things to do with them send, send them out so you're a season ticket guy for baseball I am, yeah I got, I got four season tickets behind first base last row up against the wall it's pretty good that's pretty good. good spot i have not been to a baseball game in the vitello era really really no no wow. i have not it's been a long time great time that's what i hear that's what i see I'll trade you uh, your two Kentucky basketball tickets for four <laughs> yeah. baseball games of your choice. You can pick. Oh, my choice. Okay, yeah. I thought you were going to say like against you know no, Bur- no, Birmingham Southern or something like that. <laughs> now I have promised uh, a, a group uh, my my LSU Friday Four, and that's pro- maybe the best one. So I mean, I guess you're of your choice except the best one. But Saturday will be fun too, and Sunday against LSU. You know, so yeah, great great trade. Uh, I can't wait to watch Tennessee play Kentucky at home. Oh, Thanks, Bob. Well, I'll be thinking about it. Yeah, but yeah, we we'll, we'll go to the game as a we'll go to the game as a show. Yeah. at some point this year, we'll get Bob out to the ballpark. That'd be cool. It'd be fun. But yeah, no, I'm excited for that. It does mean the weather is going to get a little bit warmer. Although it's not bad right now. 
this in the morning a little bit chilly, but afterwards, it's just hoodie weather. I like wearing hoodies. Yeah, forecast looks good this week. Like dry and 50s, and yeah. I can I can work with that. We made it through the snow. That was miserable. That, that was the worst part of winter by far. And I'm not saying we're out of winter because it, it'll get cold again at some point late February, early March, where we'll, we'll think we're almost out. And then winter's like, nope, hold on, we got one more go around here. Don't put all your warm clothes up just yet. I've got a friend that's saying there's, you know, in the extended forecast, I don't know if it's an almanac thing, that there's some other wave that's going to come in late February. It's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't it always happens. Know. Yeah. That almanac. How are they so good at predicting? I don't, I don't get it. Who don't makes understand. it? The farmer's almanac. You're a witch farmer. You're a farmer, right? Not or, like that. Yeah. I just fed some cows and then, <laughs> you know, helped castrate them if we wanted to turn them into steer. Like, I just did a couple things like that. I wasn't out, like, checking the crops and then the barometric pressure and how the things are going to shake out for years in the years in the advance. No, 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 not me. <laughs> Sam, you good on this Thursday morning? Yeah, I'm doing well, doing well. Woke up... Uh, Kind of forgot it was the start of a new month. I feel like January flew by. I think it always kind of does, though, a little bit. You got Every month feels like it flies by when you get to the end of it. You're like, wow, it's already so-and-so. <laughs> yeah. Every time. Never fails. Especially the older you get. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've noticed that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hell, it's already February of your last semester of college. Yeah. You started like a week ago. I know. And now there's only like two months remaining. Well, we go like kind of deep I guess into, three months. Into get, May. End yeah. of April, though, is the end, right? I mean, We go, go like mid-May. Oh, really? Because of that... that winter mini term that we do now it's kind oh, of okay yeah, I'm yeah, say, yeah. i feel like it was always like the first weekend of may was it normally of, is okay we're back onto like a high school schedule now basically gotcha yeah i had my first legitimate really 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 good night of sleep last night how are we all doing on sleep at this point you know i went and got in bed semi-early but it was another one of those things where the earlier i went to sleep the the harder it was to get up like it was a thing where like 4 50 i woke up i checked my phone or actually it was like 4 15 I was like, okay, I feel good. And maybe I should have gotten up, but I didn't. I went back to sleep, and then I was struggling. Then, like, it was one of those moments of, like, 6'10", Jon Snow gas wake up, and I'm like, I got to get up. <laughs> got to start getting ready. So, like, uh, it was too good of a night of sleep. I worked better, I think, with fewer hours. Yeah, I had a, I had a tough night of sleep. I got uh, – my roommates and I were watching a Bernie Madoff movie, and I just got really into that the one. Bernie Madoff movie? <laughs> what, what is the Bernie Madoff movie? The Wizard of Lies. Okay. It was actually really good. Was that was that the one that Richard Dreyfus did? Um, I don't know. It played him. De Niro was in it. Yeah, no, De Niro a, played him. Then yeah. that's a different one. Yeah, it was okay. really good, honestly. Okay. Um, Are you now motivated to go out and uh, commit some financial crimes? No. <laughs> yeah. Or are no. you properly uh, uh, scared off of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's kind of what my roommates and I were talking about. We were just between scenes. We were like switching off to like. I mean, this guy's a scumbag for taking this much money, but it is impressive but, how much he took, you know? But it is impressive. <laughs> I think um, what helped me last night, unbeknownst to me until it happened, was I got in bed early. Wife's already asleep. I usually turn the TV on and, like, yeah, I'm going to cruise into And that's the problem, you know? And I keep watching stuff and flipping around. The remote was dead. The batteries nice. were dead. And I was like, God. So I, so I watched uh, YouTube TV on my phone for about 10 minutes, and I was like, oh, yeah, forget this, I'm going to bed. So that actually, that was probably a good thing. It, it, like I said, I slept really well. It's been a while. You know, I really disagree with the ideas, but you can't deny it was a great communicator. 
Well, that's what Sam and his <laughs> his posse was doing last night watching Bernie Madoff. <laughs> Bernie Madoff. But I'm um, not a TV and bed guy. But with that being said, I do scroll my phone from time to time. However, the switch to the morning has limited that. I pretty much don't. I've started just leaving my phone low on battery and not you know, not always charging it in the middle of the night. That way it kind of helps me just not want to use it. Now, maybe there's, maybe this will all backfire one time and my phone will go dead in the middle of the night. But I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to charge it. I'm going to set it over here. I'm not going to have it next to me in bed. And then, you know, it's going to go off. I'll get up and then I'll charge it here at the show. And it also helps keep me off of it on the show, too, for the most part. So that's what I'm working with. I don't know if it's dumb. But with the way this, this new phone has the fast charger, it almost feels dumb leaving it plugged up overnight. It feels like it drains your battery. Cause this thing charges in like twenty minutes. These yeah. technology, I'd just be terrified not waking up. Like right. if your if your I'm phone goes off clock, in the morning. Sam. Oh, you, you're an alarm, alarm clock. clock guy. Yeah, I'm a okay. human alarm clock. I, I don't oversleep. Why that wouldn't work for me is uh, didn't you say you run a fan? Yeah. Okay. Well, I used to, um, but then the fan blades get dirty. I'm a little fastidious and anal, so you know I can't do that. So I use a white noise thing that sounds like it on my phone. But it burns your oh, battery, yeah. so I have to leave it plugged in overnight. I've tried that in the past with sleep playlists or the white noise music. It doesn't really work for me. Like yeah. th- that, the fact it's on a phone, just I know the difference. I guess I don't know. It's just <laughs> yeah. I always wake up or give up about thirty minutes later and just turn it off. Like I have better sleep, better luck trying to fall asleep to some podcasts that I sort of like but don't really like love. Enough to, like, keep me interested, and then it kind of mentally drains me, and then it just soothes me to sleep. That's kind of my move. So here's a question. Do you, when you travel, do you bring a fan No, no. Because I have friends who do that. Although I did get that for Christmas. I did get a gift, a, a traveling fan that you can pack. It was a very thoughtful gift that, you know, if, if I go and I do need it, I, I can travel with it, although I don't think I will. But I do struggle sometimes traveling, falling asleep. Yeah. These friends of mine, of course, it's when they're traveling, like, in a car, not on a plane, but they bring... They bring a box fan. See, yeah, no, this one's like small and like packs up. Yeah. I haven't actually used it, but uh, yeah, apparently it's yeah, no, easy that'll to travel work. with. Yeah, I get it. I tried last night to go to the movies, and you know, I'm, I'm working on seeing the best pictures, and then a couple of the other ones that are really quality up for other things. And I, last night on the docket was going to be Godzilla, Godzilla minus one. I've heard great things about it. Have you heard about this at all, Sam? Have you? I've seen previews, yeah. but no. Yeah, but everyone that sees it says it's great. So I was like, okay. I had looked, you know, poor things and like past lives. There weren't like any nighttime showing. So I was like, okay, I won't go see that. Godzilla was playing at 710, but it was the 4DX version. And as a Regal Cinema subscriber, you know, my movies are supposed to be free. So I go in and it's like, hey, an upcharge of $10. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not paying an upcharge of $10. But then I was like, I will do it when I see the movie. So then I. I don't, maybe shouldn't admit to this, but I was going to just book another movie and then just go into that one and save my $10, which is kind of stealing from the... the, the either way, I, I pay for the snacks. It, it, it all comes out in the wash. But I'd never gone to a 4DX movie before. So, you know, I booked Jason Statham's Beekeeper 10 minutes later. I'm like, yeah, I'll swipe my ticket for Beekeeper. I'll go watch Godzilla. Have you ever been to a 4DX movie? I have not. Have you, Sam? I don't think so. Well, it was a damn roller coaster ride. And yeah, okay, the, that's what I thought. I, I knew the seats, like, it was supposed to be, like, immersive, but, like, I did not realize the seats were actually, like, roller coaster move around. <laughs> and, like, I, I sit down and, like, all of a sudden the Madam Web trailer starts and it starts, like, rumbling and shaking, like, blowing air at me. I'm like, nope, nope, not doing it. 
And I got up and left, and I went to watch the beekeeper. So I did nice. not rob you, Regal. I was going to, but I didn't. I was like, you know what? This is karma. Not going to rob you. Just going to go watch the beekeeper because I already have my popcorn and my dew. And it was okay. It was a knockoff John Wick. It was all right. That's like the that's one of those experiences like they have at Disney. Where yeah, exactly they, what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know how the hell anybody watches a movie that way, especially like a big action movie because like the previews of Madam Web when nothing was really happening. You know, that Marvel movie, it was shaking me too much. I can't imagine when Godzilla starts stomping his ass around town, like what it does, and just, he comes in and out of water, and like, I looked at the scene and said, water on, which means it's going to spray me with water. I was like, no, I'm out. Do you I, get, like, scents and stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is where, in Turkey Creek? Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. a nice theater, and like, I get the pill of it if you're a kid or something, but like, I was like... What are these? That's like grown ass like man down there. There's a big old boy sitting in the front row. And I was like, he's just gonna sit here and just be shook for two hours. How? There was two people on a date. And I was like, okay, you know, a little foreplay. I get it. Like, let's get a little. The chairs rumbling. All right, we'll let it happen. But me by myself, I was like, I'm out. I'm out. I got up and immediately left, and I went to watch the beekeeper, which again, a knockoff John Wick. But that's kind of what Jason Statham. That's what you get with Jason Statham. You know what I mean? But no Godzilla for me. No Godzilla for me. I don't know how you weirdos do it. I really don't understand. Especially, like I said, it, it's, it was a $10 upcharge, which means that the ticket price normally is like $25. Why the hell are you paying $25 to go be shook around? Just go to Dollywood. Save a little money and go to Dollywood. What about, I wonder if any of those other 40X viewers saw you leave and they were like, rookie. You know, yeah, I, like, you I, know. Honestly, that crossed my mind. I, I did not go down the front and in front of people. I went up the back and like, I'm sure they saw me. Climbed, like, over, climbed over the wall. Look how soft this guy is. Yeah, yeah no, it was little. immediately as soon as like, I was late to her. So like they had already had some previews, but I definitely walked in and they were doing the, you know, some of the, um, hey, like, you know, make donations or, you know, they, sometimes they have like infomercials in between the previews, I guess. And. I thought maybe like the end of the previews, but luckily it wasn't. They had a couple that scared me. But the first one I saw, like literally 30 seconds into, I was like, nope, I'm out. I had to wait for the chair to quit shaking so I could get up. <laughs> but after that, I was like, nope, I'm out. I'm out. Well, I don't know how people do it. I really, truly don't. That doesn't sound fun, to be honest with you. I got to agree. I went on a ride like that at Universal and had a terrible time. Well, I mean, I like the, you know, it used to be Thunder Road. You probably never got to ride Thunder Road at Disney, right? Like, if you, or not Disney, but Dollywood. You, you've been to Dollywood ever? Yeah, but no. Like they had like the Imagination DreamWorks or whatever, like the where you're flying like on the hot air balloon now. But it used okay. to be like Thunder Road. And it was about like you know basically moonshine and like you're chasing somebody or trying to run from the cops. I think you're the guys running from the cops actually, and like you you know like that was fun shaking and you're going off the road and all that. Like that was fun as a kid. But yeah, like um, I don't think I would like that anymore. Especially like the way it was shaking, like, it was aggressive. It was worse than a, a rod like that. Come out concussed. <laughs> it depends how bad. Depends what kind of work Godzilla's putting in, I guess. But like, there's supposed to be a bomb in that movie, and then yeah, Godzilla's stomping around, so it's gonna be shaking you all over the place. What would Oppenheimer look like in 40? I don't think I want to know. <laughs> they just shoot fire at you, like they just turn the lights on right in your eyes, right when the bomb goes off. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I can't imagine. Because, again, it was a preview. <laughs> 20 seconds of a preview, and they're shooting mist at me. This is a morning show first. We're 17 minutes in, and I don't think we've said five seconds about anything related to sports. No, no. We'll get to that after the break. <laughs> it is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.
Hour number two, kicking off in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Light, refreshing, no beer belly bloat. That's how I describe White Claw Hard Seltzer. You can try one of the variety packs. Only 100 calories. Pick it up at your favorite restaurant, your favorite package store, gas stations, wherever you can get booze, really. White Claw is going to be there. Drink it responsibly. Not at 8 a.m. Unless you're just getting off work. You need to wind down. Some people are midnight shift workers. Good night to you. All right, Sam, tell them what they might have missed last night. Thank you, John. A lot in you're the welcome. news. Uh, starting off locally, the Tennessee Titans have found their defensive coordinator. Uh, they go and hire Baltimore Ravens defensive backs coach uh, Denard Wilson to be their next D.C. Uh, this is a, a huge hire for me in terms of uh, – Putting together that defensive staff uh, under under Brian Callahan now with the Titans. Uh, just finished his 12th season as an NFL coach. Uh, spent the last two seasons with the Eagles as their passing game coordinator and then their defensive backs coach. Uh, brought them to the number one passing uh, defense in their run to the Super Bowl uh, in 2022. And then went to Baltimore. Uh, you know, became their DBs coach. Obviously, the, the Baltimore secondary in that defense was unbelievable this year. Uh, you know, was kind of a guy that was instrumental in the development of, like, Kyle Hamilton and a lot of those guys in that secondary. Uh, so this, this to me, feels like a huge get. Uh, kind of a player's coach, and, and I, from what I saw, uh, kind of seems to be like a, a young, up-and-coming, like, D'Amico Ryans type guy. Yeah, I saw that Darius Slay – had talked about how the mm-hmm. Eagles should have just kept him and yep. promoted him to defensive coordinator versus going out and getting someone new that you know ultimately got fired that led to Matt Patricia inexplicably calling plays. I'm sure the Eagles regret letting him go, especially when you see the way their defense kind of was a mess last year, especially towards the end of last year. I'm pretty excited for Denard Wilson. I'm not going to act like I'm an expert, but I mean, like, number one secondary with the Eagles, number one secondary with the Ravens, that's good enough for me. Yeah. Absolutely. It's good enough for me. Those are two good defenses. Now, whether or not he can organize one and call it, I don't know. But I will say, like, I get, I have confidence now that the Titans, at the very least, will have a good secondary, or at least good secondary play. Yeah. Better secondary play. That, that's been a weakness of the team for a long time. A long so time. A long time. I do give the Titans credit. And also, to me, um, you know, something that Callahan was saying in his press conference, you know, opening up was that he was looking for – coordinator hires that like make things difficult on him as a head coach and stuff like that and make him think um and I saw that the Bengals only averaged 176 passing yards in their two games against Denard Wilson secondary so So basically like hey this guy's got my respect yeah he's he's elite he's got a good mind he's got my number I want to go I want to go learn with him and also yeah he can help me get better as a signal caller so like I give the Titans credit I thought their passing game has sucked for a while they go out and get a pretty good innovative offensive mind. We'll see if he fixes it or whatever. But, like, they at least tried to fix the problem. And then in the secondary, you know, they're like, hey, the defense, we can't stop anybody through the air. Go out and hire one of the guys that are, you know, get, has credit for being one of the best secondary coaches in the in the league. So they're at least trying to fix the problems. I'll give them credit for that. 100%. 100%. Um, new head coaching news also in the NFL. Uh, the Ravens defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, hired as head coach over there in Seattle. Um, this, to me, feels like a pretty solid fit. I think kind of this is, uh, you know, obviously a really young candidate and a guy that's that's made that Baltimore defense really, really good and is, 
you know, kind of had experience at all different levels of the game, uh, you know, Michigan and then going back into the NFL. So I think this is a solid hire for a young Seattle team. I'd be really worried if I was Seattle hiring Mike McDonald because, you know, many people are telling me that he was not the brains of that defense. It was actually uh, the new Titans defensive coordinator that made that whole thing work. I'm just kidding. Bob, what are your thoughts on Seattle? Passing on Dan Quinn, passing on Belichick, very able to hire a the youngest coach in the NFL now. Yeah, I was just going to say, youngest coach. Um, maybe it seems to be that, again, a lot of teams taking that route of an up-and-comer that may be able to bring a new-age kind of locker room culture together. Uh, this guy's background, to the best I could tell, uh, I wasn't that familiar with McDonald other than I knew what his current job was. Um, but sounds like he was he had kind of risen through the ranks, spent time at, what, he was at Georgia, then Michigan, right? Um, so, I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely been exposed to some – at a college level and pro level to some some really elite uh, programs and franchises, and you can't argue uh, with what he's he's done with the Baltimore defense as well. So I think it's a good hire. I uh, wasn't entirely surprised. We had a feeling based on everything we were hearing, McDonald was going to go somewhere, whether it was Washington or Seattle. Yeah, I mean, like it seemed like they the two teams that didn't make a hire last week were waiting on the coordinators, and right. Washington misses out on offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, but McDonald gets his job in Seattle. I thought that made a lot of sense. Just that they, I thought I really thought they were just going to hire Dan Quinn, bring him back home. So I do give them credit for at least thinking outside the box and and going with an up and comer. We'll see if it works out. We'll see if it works out because we don't we don't know if he could be a head coach, but sometimes those guys end up being studs. Maybe they found a stud. I'd rather roll the dice with him than be like, you know what? I've already seen Dan Quinn. Let's try that again. And the, the, can I just add something? You just reminded me of this, too. When you talk about we've seen situations where these young coaches don't make it. Remember, there was a moment in time with Zach Taylor at Cincinnati where I, I was convinced. I mean, Joe Burrow cures a lot of your problems. But prior to that, I mean, he was, I felt, was struggling. I mean, they, they give give Cincinnati some credit for being patient. but Well, you know. Much like Seattle, Bob, they say that uh, it's not really Zach Taylor, it's Brian Callahan that was the whole brains of that operation and, you know, kind of uh, developed and and saved Zach Taylor by, you know, recreating the offense on the fly and putting in some of the LSU stuff that Burrow and Chase liked. And, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Zach Taylor now that the brains of the operation is in Nashville. (laughs) So, you know, I, I I can't make that call yet. Because, I mean, he was about to get fired even the year they went to the Super Bowl. They're like, this guy's not got it. And then right. like, they, they got hot and went on a little bit of a run and, and got there. But, again, like, you know, the Titans propaganda and, and the people actually from Cincinnati that I talked about it was like, you know, he actually, talking about Callahan, started changing the offense on the fly and, and did kind of go with what Burrow was doing at LSU that was, he was so good at. Yeah. And, you know, credit to Taylor as a head coach for allowing his coordinators to coordinate. So, like, I, I do give – coaches credit whenever they're not too stubborn so like maybe that's good for taylor's long-term success or maybe he he might be like sirianni at the end of the day and you're like oh well whenever your coordinators are gone what exactly do you do here yeah and well the other thing i failed to mention with cincinnati too because it's pretty well chronicled i said you know tip of the hat to them but you know cincinnati's uh not the most freewheeling spending franchise, and so they probably were like, "Well, we got to ride this out for a little while anyway." Uh, well, that's the glass half empty. Look yes. at it. Yeah. yeah, no, the organization is patient. 
No, the organization is just cheap and doesn't want to pay a buyout. <laughs> yeah. There's two ways to look at it. Yes. Sam, what else you got? Uh, some more NFL coaching news. Uh, Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley is leaving to go become the Green Bay Packers' new defensive coordinator. Uh, this they, seems absurd on on the on the on face value. Uh, I think this honestly might become kind of a trend, John. Oh, it, I thought, yeah. He said uh, he wants to go coach football again in a league that is all about football. Oh uh, no, no. I mean, like, uh, it, I think it makes sense. Whenever you think about it, but I'm saying whenever you tell me that a head coach at a sure. power, power five school, I mean, I, I think that phrase is power four. antiquated. <laughs> yeah, power four now, but I really think it's a power two and they're not one of them. But like when you tell me you have one of those jobs, I assume, I assume he's making, you know, was making three or four million dollars. I can't imagine that you'd be in a power four conference at a, I don't want to say well-respected school, but Boston College at least somewhat cares about their sports. Maybe not. Maybe the days of Matt Ryan are far gone. But, like, I look at that and I say the a coordinator in the NFL can't be making more money. It's probably a pay cut for sure. I but, think it's more of the lifestyle change. But, yeah, like you said, what, or like he said, you know, like, hey, I want to just go somewhere where I'm coaching ball. I saw a report that, like, NFL coaches – have it much, much better than college coaches now. And a college coach got quoted as saying, we're all trying to get to the league at this point. I think, yeah, and, and I, I would even say we talked about it, a, I guess, a week or two ago with some of these some of these head coaches that are not in any prestigious programs that went to Alabama. And I think, obviously, it's Alabama, so that's part of it. Uh, but I think it, it holds true here, too, whether it's NFL or if it's a big-time college program where you're seeing some head coaches – and more middling programs moving on. It's also the state of everything we've been talking about with the NCAA, with you know NIL, transfer portal, all this other stuff. It's become there's so much noise. I would think if you're a head coach to have to deal with all that that they don't want to anymore. I, I really believe that's part of it as well. The quote said at one point college coaches thought they kind of had it better than NFL coaches in terms of the work schedule and, like, being able to kind of have an off season and, like, hey, you kind of get to lay back. And, yeah, you're recruiting, but, like, some of that's on campus. You don't have to go out as much. You know, because, like, Spurrier had talked about when he got to the NFL, he's, like, you know, basically, like, was in and out of the office. You know, 9 to 5 is kind of like what, what he talked about. He's like, he told his coaches, like, hey, we're not staying here too long. It's simple, blah, blah, blah. Like, he kind of brought that mentality to the NFL. And they're like, no, you don't do that in the NFL. In the NFL, you sleep at your office. You work yeah. around the clock, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of gone away, and it's it switched roles. Now college, you are constantly stressed out yeah. recruiting players, recruiting your own players, worried about their contracts with their NIL collectives, worried about whether or not your NIL collective is is breaking any rules. Because I'm sure Hypel has at least had to stop and be a little stressed about what's happened with, with Nico and the NCAA. Like it, It's not a good thing for the football team that the NCAA is saying that Nico is – you know that his recruitment was a little bit uh, against their rules that they didn't have, the rules that weren't created and weren't in place. It's not a good thing for Hypo's psyche. He's probably not get sleeping better at night. So yeah, I mean, especially if you're in a place like Boston College, where like you probably know, like, hey, our ceiling is eight wins, but I still have to do all this and still have to have all this stress for what? I'm not gonna win a championship. Why he not go? Said- Go ahead. He said college coaching has become fundraising, NIL, and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. Yeah, so, I mean, go there and just be like, hey, I'm not even the head coach. I don't have to run things in Green Bay. I'll just coach the defense, love coaching defense. I'll just reconnect with ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. Like like I said, on, on, 
on surface, and you're like, wow, a head coach is giving up that position. Because if how many teams now are in the Power Four? Like, I guess it's still probably close to sixty. Now the yeah. conferences are bigger. Yeah, I would think. Give up one of those sixty jobs to go be a coordinator. You know, seems seems crazy, but again, one of sixty to go be one of thirty-two, or one of sixty-four if you're just talking about coordinators. True. Yeah, I mean, offensive offensive versus defensive. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I I do think you'll continue to see coaches. I mean, you saw Harbaugh do it. Now, Harbaugh got paid handsomely to do it, but, sure. you know, he's like, hey, I'm out of college. And that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, especially if you could make as much money. Because, I mean, he probably could have made up to 12 or 14, maybe $15 million at Michigan. I'm sure they're – I don't know what number you balk at for a championship coach because money's not real in college, right? Like Nick Saban at Alabama, they would, they would have paid him $20 million to stay. Yeah. You would think. Yeah. They're not going to let him leave over money. No. Nick Saban also kind of fits this of just like, ah, I'm kind of tired of this. Kind of tired of doing them. Anything else we need to hit? Uh, last one. Caitlin Clark moved into second place all time in the NCAA uh, all time scoring list. She is. Who'd she pass? Um, she passed. And Bob, do you know who number one is? You know who she's chasing for the all time scoring leader? I do. That would be Kelsey Plum. How about that? And Big brain on Bob. Kelsey Mitchell. She passed Kelsey Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Who was Kelsey Mitchell? Uh, she went to Ohio State. Okay, I have no clue who that and is. And then also pass someone from Missouri State. Jackie, Jackie Styles. Styles. Yeah. yeah. Was that an older player? Yeah. Missouri State, I figured. Yeah. yeah. She's not far off from Kelsey Plum either, right? No, she, I mean, she's going to pass her in a couple games. Caitlin right? Clark's at uh, 34-24 right now, and Kelsey Plum's at 35-27. They're projecting at her per-game average that she'll break the record probably around middle of this month. See, that seems even – that's easy. How many points was she away? Hundred ish. Yeah, I mean, like that, is that not three games for her? She yeah, that's that's like game, three or four yeah. games. Yeah, down this, the line. So, yeah, yeah. This article says it's got her the, pacing to break it on uh, February fifteenth against Michigan. See, that seems late to me because I feel like they have a game this weekend and then two next week. I would think she'd do it next weekend. She might. Yeah, I was thinking more like the tenth. At least we're going to be on watch. I think. I think she has a chance of breaking. I, I just. The way sports are, you know, every now and then, like, you know, you, when LeBron had to break the all-time scoring record, he did it with, like, 40 points. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to piece together a couple 15-point yeah. games and do it. It's like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to put a statement together. Like, when Caitlin Clark breaks it, it's going to be like in a game where she scores, like, 37 or 40 points, in my opinion. So, I yeah. think it'll be three games. That's my prediction. You know okay. what's interesting, too? I heard this uh, on Van Pelt, and, and because we were just talking about this yesterday, that she's kind of must-watch TV for anyone that loves basketball. And... uh Tim Legler, one of the NBA analysts at ESPN, says he does not miss a Caitlin Clark game. He He's just fascinated with how good she is. Well, I'm not going to go that far to say I won't miss one of our games, but if it is on national TV and I'm not doing anything and I'm at home, yeah, I do put it on. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't set my DVR, yeah. but, uh, but I enjoyed the tournament run last year. Like, I, that, oh, that, that was, was appointment television. That I, South Carolina game mm-hmm. that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Sam, before you dismiss your list, talk about full full swing because I have something to yeah. add there. Oh, my um, God. Hold on. One, one, before you do that, 35, 38, 45, 32, 30, those are her last five games? Yeah. Yeah, she's she definitely breaking three games. Game. I, don't, yeah. I don't know how the hell you're saying it's going to be four or five games away, guy. She's doing it in three. Maybe two. She might go 50-50. Bernard King did that on this day in history, by the way. Whoa. Nice. A little ball thing. Nice. He went 50-50 back-to-back days. I saw that earlier. Um, Anyways, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, uh, Netflix announced that Full Swing, the uh, the Netflix golf series, is coming out with season two on March sixth. 
uh, featured players. It's going to be Rory, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, Tom Kim. Those are kind of like your wow. big ones. Wait, running down these names again? Rory, Justin Thomas, uh, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, Tom Kim. Uh, you got like Matt Fitz, the Fitzpatrick brothers, actually. Matt and his brother Alex. Uh, Wyndham Clark, your U.S. Open winner from last year. A couple others, and then you'll get the Ryder Cup captains as well. So I think we'll get a little bit of the behind the scenes from the Ryder Cup. When you say wow, Bob, was that a good wow or a bad wow? No, that's loaded. I mean, it's like you know, big name players. Tom Kim's one of the hot commodities mm-hmm. too because he's okay. really he's up and coming. Young yeah, guy. and he's real telegenic. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's good on TV and everything else. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, and I, I I don't know if you have these stats, but I'll add this, Sam, that. I was just reading that during the first season of that, it says viewers consumed 53 million hours of the show during its first five months. The PGA Tour says 11% of full-swing viewers had not watched PGA Tour coverage during that time, but then tuned in after the show. So it's obviously helping create better awareness and appreciation of very interesting. Professional I mean, that's why golf. WWE was like, yes, get us to Netflix. Exactly. Because it creates a lot. Of, I mean, it put Formula One on the map. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Locally. 100%. And yeah. Domestically. That's interesting you say that because whenever they, they were reading, whenever you were reading the name, Sam, my takeaway as a golf, you know, very, very, very casual fan was like, eh, not really any names I want to see on there. Now, again, I don't know. The, who'd, you, who'd you say was the up and coming guy? Oh, Tom Kim. I don't know who that is. Yeah. I, I don't know who that is. So, like, I'm very, very casual. I watch the big events. I know most of the big top names. I do not know his name, but he's like, been on the scene for like a year or two. Now. Okay, it's like not... it's like Rory. I'm so sick of Rory. I, I agree with that. Now, like, yeah. what, if he's your main star, like, is he still gonna be crying about live? Like, what, or is he, <laughs> I mean, if you're telling me like you're getting an actual like look, and I, I don't know, did you watch the last season, the first season? Like, yeah. Do they actually go in depth and like show like real personal things, or is it just like a PR piece? No. It's good. It's, yeah, like, it's pretty personal. Will we see like Rory crying about all the millions of dollars he's losing? Like, will we have like cameras on there well, of him talking about like I didn't? I should have taken this hundred million dollars and him yelling at the PGA officials and like being like, "Hey, well, you remember what the hell are you scene. doing for me?" Do you remember that one scene like at the end of? Did you watch Full Swing? I, I, didn't, no? watch, I didn't watch. Okay, well, he's got the one swing where it's kind of in the middle of the, you know, the the live negotiations and everything like that, and like Rory's getting a massage with like his whole team before a tournament. And they're talking about Phil and Liv, and he's like, "Man, f Phil! Like we don't need, you know, like we don't need <laughs> yeah. him. Like he, he, they show a little bit of the personality." Yeah, but but to me, that's almost PGA propaganda, though. It's like a rally sure, but, crowd, like yeah. No, I'm sorry, you finished. No, finished. no, I was just gonna say, I, I want to know if he's, I want to see him yelling at everyone who lied to him. I want to yeah. see him yelling at leadership. Who I got you? They they do the live deal, and he's like, "Wait a second! So now this enemy that I turned down hundreds of millions of dollars from, we're just gonna do a deal with them." Can somebody pay me the money I, I I'm owed? Like I don't see Rory have a real meltdown because any rational person would feel betrayed because he turned down all the money and then the PGA is like, actually these guys aren't that bad. We'll take some of that money ourselves. Now one of the things that they did a good job on in season one, and I'm assuming they'll do it in season two, is they had Brooks Kepka in season one, and Brooks obviously a talented golfer. I think he's kind of a dud in terms of TV coverage, but the story goes, I I appreciated him more after that because he was very pragmatic. You know, he was going on the live tour. You could tell he was kind of missing the competitive juice, and he was also not happy with how he was playing. He had a back, was it a back injury, Sam? Yeah, Yeah, and uh, and he was, you could just tell he – like he was talking about Scotty Scheffler, and he was like, I can't compete with him right now. It was like really like – 
it went inside for me and it was like, God, okay, this guy who I think is kind of a jerk sometimes the way he carries himself and everything else. He's obviously highly competitive, but he let he let them in a little bit. And I hope they're going to do that. Dustin Johnson's going to fit the same mold. He's a yeah, dud as yeah. far as he doesn't really talk well, but maybe we'll learn more about him and, you know, personally and all that. So had Brooks already announced he was going to live when this was filming, or was it just like him playing out his decision on the on the show? How, how did that break down timeline-wise? He'd already announced. Yeah, okay. I believe he had announced. Because, yeah, I mean, Dustin Johnson, of course, a live golfer, so yeah. like, there is a live tie, but that was the only name I recognized as, it, as a live golfer on the list. But he and he was watching Scheffler dominate, and you could just tell he's like, I want to play with him, and he yeah. couldn't except in the majors. Yeah. And so he was. And, and Brooks was very open about like basically like yeah like I need guaranteed money. My my body's kind of given up on me, and I could set up my family forever. Like I'd be dumb right. not to take it. Like. I don't know if I'm going to win again. And Ian Poulter was another one like that who was like, I'm near the end of my career and they're offering me this money. I've got to go. And he, it was kind of, you kind of followed his journey where it's not, it's not a given he's going to be playing in all the big tournaments, you know, because he's, he's, he's an, old, an aging player. So Sam, do you agree that the series is loaded with stars? Because again, as a, as a ultra casual, I mean, Justin Thomas, I'm, I'm over him. I'm over him and Rory. So maybe that doesn't help, but like compared to the NBA, who we said had LeBron, you know, the greatest of the generation, Tatum, maybe the new face of the league coming up, Butler, Anthony Edwards, and Sabonis. Like, those are four pretty big stars in Sabonis who, you know, has a legacy dad played, and, like, I'm actually interested in seeing him. To me, that's, like, star-studded. When the golf one was a little under underwhelming for me. Do you yeah, agree to or disagree? I disagree. Okay. To me, yeah, to me, I, I think this is a great lineup. I'm, I'm with Bob. I think I, I'm with you guys. I think kind of, like, Rory's a little bit outdone a little bit but i'm still interested in justin thomas i'm with you on uh dj bob i think he's a guy that's like almost you know like fall asleep listening to him but i think yeah. he has a personality off the course that these golfers know that a lot of people don't know so i think you'll get that in the series have a little bit of a kirk cousins like wow this guy's wholesome not wholesome in justin johnson's case probably but like hey here's justin johnson talking about selling his soul and like here's when, some paulina shots here you go like yeah. when, well before he got married like when dj the rumor had it he was hitting on all the players wives yeah <laughs> Yeah, so exactly. he's a he's a he's an interesting one, but yeah, I, I and I'm I, last thing to put a bow on this. I'm with you on Rory. I'm I'm kind of tired of hearing from Rory at this point. It feels like it just move on with him. With that being said, and I know I bashed Rory, I do think there's a chance here, not for redemption, but for him to kind of change his image if he's actually like vulnerable and like says the right things i think you can come out with a different respect for Roy because i am tired of him i don't really like him especially like the live stuff made me like him even less i did kind of sometimes root for him golfing but like i do think he has a chance to kind of change the narrative here so it's a good opportunity for him sure i would say rick butler rocky top insider coming up next we'll talk to him about tennessee versus the ncaa stick with us it's the morning show here on fan run radio we got uh, some breaking news. Uh, Bob, what do you got for us? Oh, let's see. Uh, yeah, this w- I only bring this up, and I'll bring it up quickly because we, we talked about this a little bit in uh, we, we talked about it a little bit in the segment prior to Rick Butler coming on regarding um, Netflix. Full swing, and we made a brief reference to uh, to F one Formula One because they have the documentary uh, Drive to Survive, I think is what it's called. And this is this is a pretty major seismic move in the F one space. Uh, 
Lewis Hamilton, who has been with Mercedes for quite some time. Um, as a matter of fact, they say the Mercedes F1 team received about 25% of all TV time during its championship winning seasons. Its valuation increased from $400 million to $2.7 billion during Lewis Hamilton's run in F1 with Mercedes. He is leaving Mercedes. He is now signing with Ferrari, and this is relatively breaking news. And just in the time since he has signed and announced his signing, Ferrari stock is up 7% pre-market. So it's pretty pretty amazing how one person, their talents, uh, their impact can influence these big, big automotive companies. Yeah, I don't watch Formula One, but that's a name, obviously, I know. That's, yeah. uh, that's the face of Formula One. I mean, I, there's... What Max Verstappen? That's another one. Is he oh. is he number two? Is he or is he number one now? He's, he's, he... num- he's number one now. Okay. Yeah. In terms of popularity as well, uh, I wouldn't say popularity, but he is he is running the skills, joint in yeah. terms of uh, wins and all of that. It's kind of Verstappen's game right now. But Lewis Hamilton's still wildly popular. Is that part of the reason Lewis Hamilton is leaving? It's a good question. I mean, Verstappen. I think I want to say Verstappen's with McLaren, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm sure money obviously has a lot to do with it, but also, yeah, maybe it's commitment to the team and what Ferrari wants to do. I know Ferrari had a better plan of putting yeah. in a better car or whatever to get him back to catch Was... Verstappen. Because it says he makes $35 million a year right now. Right? It sets his salary. I mean, I don't know if that includes endorsements or whatever. I would think he'd make maybe a little bit more money with as famous as he is. But Was the Verstappen kid Ferrari for a little while? Did maybe he, he switched to McLaurin? I thought he changed to McLaren, but I, I got mean, no clue. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm a uh, I know a little about F1, yeah, but I'm not I'm not deep into it. Same. So, but I yeah to your point, John. We know who Lewis Hamilton is. We know who Verstappen is, and then after that, I don't think I can name a third. Uh, I've got a buddy who oh, I got a good friend it. who loves it. Yeah, loves like he, he, it. I, I've, he lives in Nashville. I've stayed with him whenever I've gone to Nashville, and then. Sunday morning before we go to Titans games or something, I'll have it fired up watching the qualifying and stuff like that. And I was watching, I'm like, I don't really, I understand it, I get it, but like, it doesn't, yeah, I can't grasp it, I guess. And my dad and my brother are huge into yeah, it, he loves it, yeah. And he's probably yelling at the phone right now about the other drivers that <laughs> are out there because I only know the two, yeah. I could see Ricardo, all, Daniel Ricardo. There you go. Yeah. I was gonna say, I could see her all day and never think of a third, but good job by you, Sam. And when he wasn't, when, actually, that, okay, last thing and we'll move on. When he wasn't driving, Danny Ricardo, he, um, they were doing a version for F1 races, kind of like the the Manning cast, and it was uh, Danny Ricardo and Will Arnett. That's interesting. Yeah, because Arnett's a huge F1 guy, huh. loves it. So, uh, okay, there you go. That's some breaking news with Lewis Hamilton. My friend wrote in this F1 segment crying, laughing emoji face because – like I said, he's laughing at our lack of knowledge. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we got the headline there, Lewis Hamilton That's leaving. all we care about. That's we, all we care about. We don't care about details. We respect it enough to know it's a big deal. We respect it enough to know it's a big deal. ESPN put out a list of some coaches, college football coaches, on the hot seat already heading into the year, which I think is a random time to put out at the beginning of February. But have you seen this article 
Sam, do you know who the people on the list are? Uh, no, I don't. Bob, have you seen the list? Were you able to get into ESPN Plus? Uh, no, you might have heard me cursing ESPN Plus when we came out of the break. Uh, uh, I, I did, I did, but yeah. I wasn't going to bring it up. But yeah, it's no, I haven't logged in. I see as ESPN Plus tends to do. I'm seeing about two paragraphs of the story, and that's it. So. They have three coaches that they deem to be on the hottest of seats. Sam, would you like to take a guess on the three coaches on the hottest of seats? Um, well, I'll go with the obvious. I'll go Billy Napier. I feel he like is that's one of the three. Number one. I don't know if it ranked. I don't know okay. if it's. It seems to be an alphabetical order of the school. Uh, but Florida, Billy Napier is on there. On there. On there. And yeah, he's eleven and fourteen overall, six and ten in the SEC. They just say it's hard to see him back in twenty twenty five. They're basically already like saying it's done for Billy yeah. when they talk about their yeah. schedule and. Florida hasn't had a coach make it through year four since Urban Meyer. That seems crazy, but I guess it's true. They haven't had a coach make it through year four since Urban Meyer. I mean, McIlwain would have if he would have just shut up, and then he started, you know, talking about death threats and, you know, when the team turned on him, and then that just gave him an easy excuse to fire him. All right, Billy Napier. Sam, you got another guess? Bob, you got a guess of who would be on the hot seat? Um, well, one that I'm, I'm stunned that he is back, and I don't think he would be long for the job just given who he added to his staff would be uh, Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Sam Pittman on the list as well. Good job by you. Two for two, guys. Good job. Pittman made it to year five despite a 4-8 and eight record last fall. Says anything close to that again, we'll make sure he is fired. And Bobby Petrino is lying in wait. Surely they're not going to let Bobby do it, but they might. They might. He is there. Oh, he'll... The wolf is in the hen house. He will lobby for it. Oh, you for count, sure. You can count he, on it. All right, you got the third one. Third one, I got to be honest, a little bit tough. I don't think I would get this guy as being on a hot seat. I don't I don't necessarily agree with this, or maybe I just don't think about him. Dave Aranda from Baylor. I'm not even going to make a guess. I don't think you would. He's on the hot seat for sure. You think so? Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, Absolutely. I could sit here for 20 minutes and probably not think of Dave Aranda. Just, I guess he went 3-9 and nine last year and says he's 9-16 since... He's been Since bad. Baylor went to the Big 12 championship. He's been bad the last couple of years. I guess I just don't think of Baylor as caring enough to fire their coaches. And, like, the fact he did go and win a conference championship two years ago, I thought would buy him more time. But, yeah, those is, are the guys uh, with the three hottest seats. Pittman, Aranda, and Napier. Is Ryan Day on this list by chance? They put the next category is called keep an eye on, which I guess means maybe a six and a half to seven out of ten on the hot seat range. Ryan Day is on there. Okay. You'll find him along with um, – Chip Kelly, who looked like he was, I, I would bump Chip Kelly to tier one because I mean Chip Kelly almost got fired last. Yeah, year. I thought, he I was thought it was, I thought it was fait accompli. He was getting fired was yeah. the way they made it sound, and then yeah, I did. mean like it seemed like it was completely dead. And then I guess he beat he beat USC his last weekend. Like I guess yeah, they well, lost that Dante Moore kid though. Now, what did you say, fait accompli? Yeah, the hell does that mean? How do uh, I spell it? Uh, it's uh, fate accompli, a thing that has already happened or been decided before those affected hear about it. Fate accompli. See what you're learning? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I I love sitting next to you, Bob. I, I've worked in, I got a boiler plate, plate, not boiler maker, boiler plate statement, and fate accompli. And you fate know, accompli. And uh, you know what an interstitial is now, too. Remember, we talked about that. that. We did talk about that. That was off the air, but I do know what an interstitial is. That's whenever the news basically give somebody a a segment that's content slash a little bit of promotion and advertising right you got it good yeah. memory yeah i wouldn't have remembered what the phrase was though 
Yeah. Intersection intersection areas that you said? Interstitial. Yeah, I already forgot. Yeah. Interstitial. But yeah, anyway. And, and, yeah, see, now you know. Yeah. Use that this weekend somewhere. Yeah. Um, like you're going to get a drink and they're like, Hey, you wanted a beer. It's yeah. like, yeah, that fait accompli. You knew it. Break up with a woman. Leave a woman. <laughs> what happened? I didn't see this coming. Sorry, baby, it was fait accompli. <laughs> you should have seen it coming. It had already happened. Whenever <sighs> I quit replying to your text, fait accompli. All right, who else is on the list? Uh, well, I was just working on more real-life examples. Uh, Chip <laughs> Kelly, I do think, should be t- bumped up to Tier 1 just because, again, it looked like it was fait accompli that he was gone and fired last year, and then somehow he just kind of kept his job. I'm like, yeah, I guess you'll stay. No big deal. Uh, Clark Lee, not going to surprise you. No. I don't, he, he, he is a tier below Dave Aranda where I'm like, I don't even think the school cares enough to really want to put anybody on the hot seat. But uh, Ryan Day. On tier two in terms of hot seat, I think that checks out. He really needs to have a good season. Really needs to beat Michigan. I, I will say, like, if he loses to Michigan this year, they should fire him on the spot because yeah. he should go into that game with a huge talent advantage. And of course, going up against a, a coach in year one. What about um, is Brett Bielema on the list? He's not. Uh, the other two guys on this list are Kalani Sataki, I guess, the BYU's head coach. Uh, okay. I don't know if I'm saying that last yes, name correctly. That's correct. I was just sounding it out. Not to, I'm not trying to go Dan Wetzel and 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 Pat Ford. So I'm gonna start doing the Pat Forty. You're just Pat Ford now, wise guy. Speaking of Pat's, Pat Narduzzi. Those are the other names on the list. So they give three being on the super hot seat, and then another five on like keep an eye on. Narduzzi's another one that probably if he had just kind of kept his mouth shut last season that that didn't go well remember how he alienated his players and it, i don't i don't really remember but it says his comments following a 58 to 7 loss in Notre Dame drew the ire of players leading to an apology so like yeah he said we don't have enough talent we don't have enough you know guys out there basically it was about nil wasn't it yeah saying that like uh, yeah. we don't have the resources uh, to went, compete with these programs went three and nine last year but they do point out he's under contract till 2030 <laughs> wow so like I mean, I guess that's not that crazy. It's just a six-year contract, and I guess most coaches keep a running four- or five-year contract for recruiting purposes. But, like, uh, that's a lot of money for Pitt to have to pay out, I guess, to a coach. How long has he been there? Was he coaching, like, Aaron Donald at Pitt? Uh, no, no, I don't right? think so. I don't he think can't so either. Right? I want to say Narduzzi's been there since, like, 2012, if I was guessing. Like, that's just kind of – because Aaron Donald would have already been in the league by then, right? Yeah. Surely. I want to say he's like been there for a while though. Let's see, sixty-two and forty-one overall. That puts him at what, like a hundred and a hundred games. That's about ten seasons, I guess. Two thousand fifteen was his first year. Okay, yeah, definitely after Donald. And then yeah, they just got some guys on retirement watch after that. They got three coaches they think might hang it up. Mac Brown, Kyle Whittingham, which is a little surprising. I don't think of. Oh, I haven't really thought of Pat Whittingham as a retirement candidate. They say he just celebrated his 65th birthday, but like I don't. In college football, we see guys coaching to the early 70s all the time. Utah should be good again next year, I would imagine. Yeah, he's a good coach. Kirk Ferentz, I can see that. We didn't really talk about it and laugh about it, but did you see who Kirk Ferentz ended up hiring as his offensive coordinator? Yeah, Tim Lester. He went and got was it Western Michigan's. <laughs> Guy that had been fired, yeah. they're fired off as a coordinator, and like Western Michigan was like 130th of like the, the the FBS school, so only like a couple spots ahead of Iowa and what they had. So he did upgrade. Yeah, I was gonna say he could have. No matter who he hired, it was probably an upgrade. But he found the guy maybe that's the least amount of upgrade over his his son, which maybe is him being a protective dad. He's like, hey, we're gonna keep sucking on offense, 
and you're going to see it wasn't my son's fault. It's just we're in Iowa. We can't recruit. We just recruit defense and tight ends. That's it. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three. We got Greg Polinski coming up at 920 as we talk to the Tennessee assistant basketball coach. Stick with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Welcome back to the morning show. You got Bob Baskerville here with John Reed. Um, excited to go into our weekly segment with Tennessee assistant basketball coach Greg Polinski. We have obviously a big game coming up on Saturday, and uh, we appreciate the coach giving us some time. How you doing, coach? Good morning, guys. Morning. Hey, before we get into Kentucky, uh, talk about that a little bit. Um, just wanted to do uh, kind of a top line wellness check, if you will. I mean, we all were, you know, we've we're looking at South Carolina in the rearview mirror. Uh, that was a, that was a tough night, but um, you know, just would love to get your top line take on how how the how the boys are feeling heading into a very big game at Rupp. Um, is it the same thing with them too? It's it's more about you know we've heard the stories about. Uh, the players, we saw video of Dalton and heard about Josiah and Jemai getting out on the court after the game um, just to work on free throws and shots, and, you know, that, that tells us a lot. But just uh, love to hear your take on how, how everybody's feeling right now moving forward. Yeah, so um, not to cut you off, but I think I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're all disappointed. Um, first of all, you know, it sounds like coaches talk. Uh, Coach Barnes said it, but – Give South Carolina credit. They're no myth. They are a totally redone team. Some of the same players, but a whole new chemistry, attitude. Coach Paris has done an awesome job. I mean, they came in there at, what, 17-3, and um, had won some road games. Uh, With all that being said, you know, we didn't – come with our A game. Sometimes you really can't explain it. I don't have a great explanation. Really disappointed for our team. Our fans were, of course, awesome as usual. Um, but you can't, and Coach talked about it on his post game, but you can't miss rim shots. You can't go to the free throw line and make 12 out of 20. Something we've done well most of the year. Vandy, we struggled a little, but still came away with the win. And close games where a team is going to grind it down, hold the ball, slow it down, which isn't how we want to play, um, then you've got to make your opportunities. And both of those are great opportunities. I mean, you know, I think anybody who was there witnessed that, right? It was very frustrating. Um, that is it level of concentration? I'm not sure I'd answer it, but. Uh, just sitting there, it seemed a little surreal, like, wow, we got a good shot. And um, free throw line. Uh, defensively, we were good enough. I mean, they shot 33.9% from the floor. But, again, give them credit. They hit 10 threes, and they were timely. Um, so one of those nights, and I think what you got to do is look at it, forget it quickly, because there is no time, as we all know, going to rub. To feel sorry for yourself, especially after them coming off a home loss. They will be 
fired up, and they are a tremendously talented team. As a coach, how do you manage when your team is struggling from the free throw line? Because, you know, it's something that, that seems like it would be a mental block. So are you belaboring the points and, you know, risking maybe getting into the player's head a little bit more? Is it all repetition? As a coach, how do you manage that? I don't, you know, I, I think I've seen it done so many different ways. You know, we're going to take more free throws. Everybody, you know, hey, we're going to take them intermittently during practice, after every drill, or after every segment, we're going to do our, and we do our daily vitamins. For us, it's like our daily vitamins. Okay, hey, we're going to 100 free throws, or it could be some guy shooting more. Got to make 20 in a row before you leave. Um, not punishment, just to build confidence again. Uh, but really, we've been a really good free throw shooting team all year. So do we take this two-game sample and panic? I say no. If it becomes a trend, then we got to look at what we're doing a little bit more. Maybe you know, look at guys' routines. Like I said, come up with different ways to shoot them during practice, during our you know player development time. Uh, but right now, I think we move on. We get to the next game. Uh, we're pretty confident in this group, and I think this group is pretty confident in itself. How do you handle the juxtaposition of going from an opponent like South Carolina that wants to drag you in the mud, go really, really slow, pay, you know, play with the pace in the 350 range where you're, you're limiting possessions and they're going to really try to grind you out defensively, to now going somewhere like Kentucky where they want to go fast and, quite frankly, don't put as much of an emphasis on their defense, to put it lightly. How do you handle that from a game plan standpoint? Yeah. Well, I think we, we've got a group that can play at different speeds. You know, um, you know the, the the jest, if there is any, you know, kind of a tongue-in-cheek to this, was last year's team would have loved slopping through this. Yeah. Um, right? That, that would have been right up our alley last year. You want to go for, 30, you know, 28 seconds? Great. Because we probably will. Well, this year's team coming into this game was the leading team in the SEC and effective field goal percentage, two-point field goal percentage, our pace was right there. Um, we've played faster. I think it's been enjoyable, not just for us and for the players, but for the fans. So I think we'll, we'll you know, recalibrate quickly. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think for us, the issue is Kentucky is either the leading, team, leading scoring team in the country or right there. And we're going to have to do a great job ourselves in now, like you said, hey, we got we got to get back in transition. We something we work on every day get the ball stopped, you know, build walls, attach the shooters because they're a very good three-point shooting team. Got to remember they played without two key guys last night, um, Dewan Wagner and Justin Edwards. Great win for Florida, but we're going to see Kentucky's best. You guys know that. The fans know it. And, and we certainly hope that we're going to bring our best because that's what it's going to take to get a W up there. No, I do agree with what you said fully, like, from a fan perspective, I understand when it's frustrating to lose those games and you don't want to hear like, hey, you had good shots and sometimes in basketball the shots just don't go down. But you talked about the mud. Like, fans can remember last year's game against Auburn. That that was a dreadful, tough game, low scoring. Brutal. And you, and you wondered, like, can this team even get a good look? Can this team play offense? You don't have the feeling this year with this team. This team got a bunch of good looks. They just missed shots, missed free throws, missed shots they've hit all year. So I, I do think... 
it might come across as excuse making for fans that hear that, but I do fully believe it's just basketball. Sometimes you miss shots. Hey, coach, looking ahead to Kentucky now, um, you know, when 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 we look at their lineup and you you touched on it, they had two key players out last night, but it's still uh, you think of the stars, quote unquote, stars of the team of a very talented team. You have obviously Reeves and Shepard and Dillingham, all guards. And, you know, Trey Mitchell obviously is a force. Uh, this one guy that popped off the page for me, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because I know you're you're already studying these guys, is uh, Ugo Agnenso, who played last night, started 34 minutes, 13 points, 16 boards, 8 blocks. Um, and it looks like he's, just in the last couple of games, from last night and then the Arkansas game, his, his minutes seem to be increasing. Um, that, that becomes, it appears, it, this is a team that seems very long to me, even though we talk about the guards between Bradshaw and, you know, we haven't seen much from Avisic since that first game, but, you know, and now you've got Ugo and, and Trey Mitchell. Uh, this is, I think, an interesting team to prepare for. I'm just curious um, how you think about it from that standpoint, because, you, again, you think about high-scoring guards, et cetera, but they obviously had a guy who was a big rim protector last night. Yeah, that's a gigantic piece. We all know that um, having Jonas here, uh, Jonas Adu is does that for us. I don't know if he gets as many blocks, um, but he changes shots. He changes your mentality as an offensive player at the rim, and it's something that Hugo does. I mean, we saw him in high school. He's really developed. Give Kentucky credit. Um, he was raw, and he's getting better and better. Um I only caught, I was on the road recruiting, I only caught bits and pieces of it um, on the radio, but it sounded like, you know, a fly swatter. <laughs> when they went in, until they drug him out away from the rim, uh, he, he did a great job. Having that is a gigantic piece for your defense, you know, because it gives you the opportunity to pressure the ball more, extend, take more chances when you have that kind of guy standing back there. So, We'll have to think, and Coach will um, come up with a game plan. We're not going to keep him from blocking some shots. We still want to stay aggressive. But certainly it is something that you have to prepare for. Um, guy that goes and blocks eight and grabs that number of rebounds and is a factor at the rim on lobs and putbacks, and uh, it adds a gigantic piece to what you said is a very talented group of guards. It's kind of an understanding that usually in college basketball, not on not on Tuesday night where Tennessee couldn't really buy a foul call at times, that the officiating is going to favor the home team or at least be called differently from game to game, from place to place. As a coach, do you guys approach anything differently going on the road when it comes to physicality from someone like Jonas Adu and like, hey, you might get officiated a little bit differently on the road because the crowd's going to be involved or is it just business as usual? Yeah, I think the – the one thing at every level that I've learned um, that we understand, I think, as a team, we're going to play to the way the game is called that evening or that day, if that makes sense. Because officials are human. Um, some get the um, intensity of a rivalry, that game. How do I manage that game? Is there advantage, disadvantage? I always thought last year in our NCAA tournament game, um, with Duke, 
that some of the calls in that game in our league are just business as usual. You know, when you're dealing with guys like Tolu Smith and Shebway last year, you know, what we considered a blockout, you know, the referee called a foul because Tolu Smith, Shebway, those are just two I'm thinking of. They come at you with force. So it's just two bodies when we had Urosh and Olivier. Man, that was a, a man-on-man collision. Um, and so our league, I, I think the officiating is really good as a whole. I really do. Other times we're frustrated, of course. Uh, I'm sure the other team is too. But we will adjust, or we better adjust, to how the game is called at any venue we go to because it's all different. It really is. And, and that isn't a bad thing. That is just the referees. Like we talk about prepping for a game, the, refer- the referees talk about it. I- I've, when I was scouting, I got to know some of those guys, and sometimes before the game I go in and say hello to them. They're talking about the game. They're talking about what they got to control, what they got to manage. Don't think they don't. About different players. I mean, they do their homework. And so however that game's called, we got to adjust to it and, um, and go out there and, and, you know, excel. That's the best I can say. With that being said, what went through your mind when Tennessee was called for three fouls in two seconds in the second half on Tuesday? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not sitting on the fence here, guys. <clears throat> I, my seat, literally, though, on the bench, it was right in front. Coaches standing up, our coaches, and there were players. I couldn't get a clear view. I'll throw it back to you guys. It seemed like it was quick, right? There were was it three quick calls? Yeah, like, at that end of the court. And what's been frustrating, you know, watching these games is that the first half I thought was free flowing. I thought the fouls were yeah. at a very small number. And then to start the second half, it's like they're like, okay, time to call fouls and call the game completely differently because even on TV, you know, Bradshaw was talking about in the first half, that wasn't a foul. They've been letting a lot of that contact go. And from a viewing standpoint, that's the most frustrating thing about college basketball is that the it could change from minute to minute, half to half. And and that felt like that's what happened in that situation. Coach, I, yeah, I, would, I would say that – sorry to interrupt, but I, I would say that I was at the game and I, I literally missed – at least one of those calls, just reaching down to get my bottle of water. I mean, that's how like just rapid fire it was. It was it was very it was very weird. Yeah, it was it was different, but I don't know if they were legitimate or not. Um, I'll be honest; I haven't watched our game yet, and I usually watch it as soon as I get home. But I had an early drive the next morning. Um, sometimes after a game like that, I want to wait, let the emotion get out, and then watch. It was our day off and. So that's the day a lot of us will go recruiting. Um, so I didn't see it. Um, you know, we try not to make too much out of it uh, because if you pay too much attention, I think sometimes to calls, either way, in your favor, against you, or whatever you view, I think we just kind of go on and play. We talk about that in practice a lot. Guys that say, man, that was a foul. Don't even say that. That's what we talk. Don't say it. Because in the game, you don't know what a foul is and a foul isn't. Depends on that night. I, I think what you guys are saying, though, is, and I didn't hear Dane, but if there, if there's a certain call that was a call in that half, 
why isn't it calling this half or vice versa? But truly, I didn't see it. I didn't watch it. I just heard three quick whistles. So I'm relying on you guys to tell me what you saw. And uh, the 20,000-plus that were there, they didn't seem very happy. So, hey, like you guys said earlier, you know, let's rehash this. And now we move on to Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a big weekend uh, as we uh, wrap up going out the door here. Yeah, the the one thing I would say is we we touched on this in our first interview with you last week. Uh, we're seeing it again. It's almost like we're feeling a, a March vibe in the regular season with teams that are going down. Yeah. You know, same night we had North Carolina go down at Georgia Tech. Um, you know, yet last night uh, Purdue and Northwestern go overtime. Kentucky obviously loses. I guess this is just the new normal now in college basketball, right? I think so. I, I don't think there's a dominant team. I think you guys have been around long enough to know there's certain years when you say, man, these two or three teams, they're head and shoulders above. I can remember that, again, when I wasn't um, in college basketball and, you know, out scouting, seeing teams, I thought, wow, these two or three teams are so much better than the rest of the teams I've seen. I can't say that this year. And we've seen Purdue, and we've seen Kansas, and um, Marquette was very good when we saw them early. It was yes. a scout I had. I thought they were terrific. Um, UConn really got I, I don't think that we fear anybody. We think on a given night we're good enough, but we also know, as, as Coach made clear to the guys, we're not good enough just to show up and put on that Vols uniform and uh, go out and, and defeat people. We've earned the respect of everybody, and we always say congratulations. Now, what are we going to do about it? You know, you got a top-five ranking. That's wonderful. Great for our fans, great for our team, great for recruiting. But now what are you going to do to defend your yard? And we didn't do that the other night. We didn't do it. And you got to understand, you're going to get other teams' best shots, and there's programs that have been going through that for years, and we talked about that. Admiration should be given to those programs. We have now put ourselves in that echelon. we got to understand what's going to come every night. You guys, I don't know if you guys went to the North Carolina game when we played there. Man, you'd have thought they were playing Duke, who they're getting ready to play this weekend. It was loud. They were there early. It was a whiteout for the University of Tennessee. So we should be proud of who we are, but then we better take care of business with it too. That's right. Best of luck this weekend. Thank you for the time and insight. Tennessee assistant coach Greg Polinski. We'll talk to Thank you, you next coach. week. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. Really think that's uh, my new favorite segment of the week. I like talking ball. He's great. Yeah, I like talking ball. I like talking ball with Shumpert on Monday. I like talking ball with Will Warren. But I do think having an actual like voice inside that locker room making decisions and 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 having you know obviously behind the scenes info, I think that's my favorite segment of the week. And I love it. You know, I'm not surprised, but boy, you know they're owning it. They're owning what happened Tuesday night, and it's like it's he's right. It's like so. What do you do moving forward? That's really what it's about, and the way college basketball is now. Still, you know, kind of filling him out and getting you know his vibe, and you know, I, I do think that maybe if it was a month later and we had done maybe four or five hits with him. I would have pushed a little harder and be like, I, I didn't ask if you saw the fouls, coach. I asked what went through your mind when they called the three fouls. You didn't have to see them to be like, whoa, hold on, three fouls in two seconds? Yeah. 
Yeah. But he didn't shy away from it. He just said, I didn't see it. What'd you think? Yeah. Nah, that's good. Maybe I should have followed up and said, well, what, what did Rick say? What did Rick think? <laughs> but yeah, uh, good job by you uh, for setting that up weekly. I enjoy it. I hope the audience enjoys it. Yeah, he's great. I, I'm glad we got him. I got a one bone to pick, though, Sam. You forgot to ask your question. Oh, yeah. You had a question. He had a question on Monday yeah. when, or Tuesday. He wanted to know. I forgot about that. Who wins in one on one between Connect and Mayshack? He had had you know, that they talked week. about. <laughs> and maybe not. Maybe not the time to ask. You know, yeah. after a loss. Yeah. yeah we'll get maybe. a big win on Saturday, and then I'll ask him. Okay. Next Thursday. Yeah. By the time he comes around, we'll have played LSU too. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you're, you're on a two game win streak. <clears> yeah. Yeah. I did forget that though. Yeah, completely forgot. I'm, and I'll be honest, I I'm forgot very too curious to about it. you. I totally forgot. Yeah. That's how Sam is with me. I don't really. What's your name again? <laughs> but I'll also note that I did care less about that story after he lost to South Carolina. The the vibes for me got knocked down a little bit. I'm still I'm still on board with the boys. I'm still on board with the boys. But like, ha ha ha, who wins in one on one? I don't care right now. It's like, hey, can we get Mayshack on mm-hmm. the floor more? And can Connect go out and uh, lead us to victory? When Dalton Connect scores forty in Rupp, and then Jemai Mayshack locks down Antonio Reeves, then it'll be a lot easier to to ask that question. Exactly. You'll be sad because <laughs> your boy will will have struggled. I would say I'll, I, I'll push back now that he's off the air because I don't want to argue with him about it. But like I, I will say that I do think the free throw shooting has been an issue all year. I don't think it's just a two game sample. I, I do think the free throw shooting has dipped, and. I, I will say that like it's it's hard to explain. Connect, he's right in step with his averages. I don't know, you know, if he just doesn't put enough time in, or if it, if his shot is conducive to being a little bit deeper on the court. I don't know, but like last year at Northern Colorado, he shot seventy seven percent from free throws. The year before that, seventy five percent. This year, seventy eight percent. He's actually better this year than he has been in his past. That's kind of in lockstep. But you'll get someone like Jonas. And maybe you could say with Adu, it's like, hey, he's getting the free throw line more. But he went from a 75% free throw shooter last year, 82% the year before, to 63%. You look at Zaka. 84-83 the two years prior. This year down to 71%. Josiah. Last year, 86%. The year before, 80%. This year, 73%. So there's a 13%, 12% decrease there from last year to this year. So, like, there is something going on with the free throws. And it's it's not just a two-game sample. The guys are struggling. Like I said, those are all those are three guys that are 10% worse this year than they were last year. Is it a confidence thing that, like, hey, you know, they're all their roles have gotten reduced? I don't know because I just told you Adu had that too, and Adu's role has increased and bigger than ever. Santi, who has had his role decrease, he's shooting better from the free throw line. It hasn't affected him. So I don't know. I pushed back and saying it wasn't a hasn't been an issue all year because I do think it, it has been something that I've noticed all year. And I got, I'm worried about Tennessee from the free throw line when it comes to you know tournament time and crunch time. Anything else, Bob? You want to add about Tennessee basketball? No, I don't think so. Uh, no, I think uh, yeah, we've stated the obvious. We have a big one on uh, on Saturday, man. More bigger than ever now, in a way. Uh, just. We're going to try to fulfill the ambitions of a SEC conference title. That 15 and three number. We'll talk with Will Warren about that tomorrow. If that's maybe shifted at all, but 
hope so. I hope so, too. He did shift and say 15-3 and three was just outright. So, like, 14 might get you a split. Then we'll take splits. We, we can add a number to the banner with a split. Splits are okay. Yeah. Splits are okay. Sam sent us to break. We'll wrap this bad boy up. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.